So the 21st of September is the autumn equinox. And we've got two days of the year where we've got nights and days that are equally balanced in time. And the rest of the year is not. So we've just moved from the days being longer than the nights, and now the nights are going to be longer than the days until we come around to the spring equinox where we have a, another one day where they're balanced, and then we have longer days than nights. And so our seasons are constantly showing us change, and the weather's changing, and I notice the trees, are, some of the leaves are starting to turn color. The mornings are cool. And normally in the yards here, I see only does most of the year. But this time of the year, I see bucks. So it's starting to be rutting season. And you, you see the does being running, chasing, being chased. So it's, it's their season now for breeding. So nature has uh, an infinite opportunity of looking at the way things shift and change and how seasons cycle. And we come back around into, you know, what's happening in the present moment. And these last couple of weeks, several weeks and months, have been um, quite an interesting exploration for me in themes of grief and sadness with my father passing and some of the different territory that's opened up for me. And yet, you know, when the leaves fall from the trees, I don't know that any of us feel grief. It's just something that happens with the changing seasons, and there isn't a personal identification that we have with the, the leaves being on the tree. When they fall, it's, it's normal, it's natural. And so it's an interesting exploration to consider, well, where is it, or when is it, or how is it that when some things change, it has uh, quite a huge uh, grief. And when other things change, there's very little or no grief. And certainly each of us will have our own exploration as to, you know, why is it that some things are so difficult and other things not in terms of our own identification and association and attachment with it. But all things change. That's their nature. And all things that arise exist for a while and end. That's their nature. And there's nothing about that which is out of ordinary. That's the way it is. And yet sometimes when we watch arisings, it's absolutely wonderful and we love that. You know, this is a culture that completely celebrates birth and completely demonizes death. Except for the things that we don't like, then we celebrate it. <laughs> So we worship youth, we worship new beginnings, we worship new ideas, we worship little things, we worship young people and little animals, and, you know, things that are old or aging or losing their faculties. You know, we don't have a way of upholding them or celebrating them or, or rejoicing in the beauty of who they are and what they have to offer. And so, you know, as a society... We have a lot of cultural problems that are based on the fact that we worship youth and we don't really have a way of dealing with aging and death that makes a lot of sense, you know. 
So it's something that, as individuals, we have to figure out how to do that in a society that doesn't have a lot of support for that. Yeah, so for myself, it's been really blessing to have this time with my father for the three years that I've been back in Colorado Springs because there's ways of, of being able to talk with somebody when you're with them regularly that's just not possible when you're visiting. And then, you know, to watch his 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 journeying and and then to be able to touch the different pieces of it, you know, so to have a, a wonderful opportunity for at his cremation to, to have time to honor and to celebrate and to send him off and, and here are his ashes and to plant the tree and and to have a time for his birthday and all these, you know, cycles and closures and opportunities and and just to watch my own heart opening with um, various different reflections around grief or sadness or a sense of being alone in this world. So we have this interesting juxtaposition between when we're born, we are born into a world as a separate person. You know, the umbilical cord from our mothers are cut. We are a separate person. We breathe ourselves. And yet there's a connection that we feel with people. And so... And certainly part of our task as growing up is to know who we are as individual people and to have a certain amount of skillfulness in both knowing who we are and how we express ourselves and to know that. So, and and that's a different thing from just the task of letting go of identification and attachment. That's actually the task of development, of developing and knowing who we are and how our body energies work, what our sexual orientation is, you know, if it changes what the changes are, what our gender is, if that changes what the changes of that is, you know, and to know ourselves in this world. And then the work or the task of letting go is to understand how we grasp on a sense of something which is permanent and fixed and unchanging as who we are, and to let go of identification and grasping. And the development of who we are supports being able to let go. Because I don't know if you have ever experienced somebody who's in the middle of a psychotic breakdown, but I have. And these are people who don't know who they are. But this is not a peaceful state. This is absolutely one of the most excruciating sufferings that a human being can know in this world. You know, they have no sense of who they are in this world. It's just totally fractured and fragmented. So we use the word self to mean both the developmental self and psychological perspective, and we use it to mean the Buddhist sense of self in terms of attachment to something which is unchanging. And they're two different things, even though the word seems the same. It's not. It's actually referring to two different things. And so what's really helpful is not to confuse the developmental tasks we have with the process of letting go. Okay? So here we are at the equinox, and one of the lovely things about the equinox, it's one day of the year, one of two days of the year, where the light and the dark are balanced. And so, you know, we also have a kind of worship of the light and a demonization of the dark, you know. We love the light, we hate the dark. And yet, the only real way of illuminating the light is by bringing the dark into light. The only real way of allowing these cycles to move in the different ways that they do is by not demonizing the dark, but by bringing it into the light, to knowing what is the stuff that drives us, that motivates us, that our fears are, to know 
what we are afraid to touch, to know what scares us, to know where we collapse, to know where our crevasses are, to know, you know, the, the skeletons in the closet, you know. And not to slam the closet door and lock them in, but to open the closet door and invite them into the light, you know. And so, you know, one of the things that I have been very interested in has been this, you know, bringing the darkness into the light. Because I have seen in myself, in my family, in other meditation masters, that when we don't do this, there's there's hell to pay. There's suffering. Okay, so it's quite possible that a person can have very genuine and very authentic realization experiences, but they haven't actually attended to the stuff that's in the closet. And as a result of that, there can be, you know, various degrees of chaos and confusion and suffering that results. And I have seen enough of that to know that that's not the way that I want to live. You know, it's not. I don't want to be gifted at giving a Dharma talk and then get off of the meditation seat and have chaos with everything else that's happening in my life. I don't want to live like that. I am interested in living a life where I know who I am and I know what I'm doing and there isn't massive chaos in every area of my life, you know. And it has been a lifelong work to be able to bring light to the various things that have been hard, you know, and challenging, and the things that have frightened me, and the things that caused me confusion or despair or despondency or my crevasses. To know what they are and to get the skills and the tools and the resources that I can navigate them, you know, I know how to deal with them, so that they are not so enormously huge in my and so the result is, is that there's a lot of things that don't frighten me, you know, because I know my internal territory, you know, I know it, and I can track it, you know, I can be present with it. So, you know, my brother's in town, and I personally think my brother is quite a magnificent human being, you know, he's, he's amazing. He's two years older than I am, and he's the CEO of three companies, and he's got a five-year-old granddaughter he's the primary caretaker of. But he doesn't have five minutes to himself most days. And he's radiant and joyful and happy to help. And his practice is about non-resistance, you know, and I get that. And so the day that we were cleaning out the, the garage where I found the poem thing that Dad had stashed, you know, we came up here and we had a meal, and then... I took him to the Garden of the Gods. I've never taken him to the Garden of the Gods. You know, so the Garden of the Gods is like, that's my place, you know. I love the Garden of the Gods. So we went up the Spring Canyon, and I showed him where the bear had come. You know, and I sat down, and I showed him, you know, where the bear, where I first saw it, and I, I showed him where the bear walked, and I showed him that the bear was right here, and looking in my face, and he looked at me, and he said, you were totally freaked out? <laughs> I said, no, I wasn't totally freaked out. You know, I didn't feel like I had anything to be frightened of. There was nothing about the bear that was scaring me. You know, the bear looked curious and not scary. And so I was just tracking my, my sense and I was also, I mean, I was very alert. It wasn't like I was dozing or anything. You know, I was tracking what the bear was doing, but there wasn't, didn't seem to be anything to be frightened of. So I just sat there. And then when the bear shifted and got, bolted because she realized that I was one of those people things, you know, 
and then something to be scared of because the people things are probably, in her experience, probably very unpredictable. When she got bolted in my heart, it felt like it was pounding out to 20 feet in front of me. But you see, you know, for me, the, the sweetness of that was is that, I mean, it could have been very easily to have gotten frightened, especially with my other experiences with having had bears come that close to me, you know. You know, it would have been easy to just flip into a freak out, you know. But the tracking what was happening, you know, I kept on looking. There didn't seem to be any reason to be frightened. And so there was no reason to flip into a freak out, you know. So I was tracking, tracking, tracking. And so, you know, the the sweetness of what I affectionately refer to shit shoveling, it sometimes gives rise to incredible things opening up that you just never would imagine, you know. Blessings that you just never, ever, ever, ever would imagine. Now, one of the things that has been an ongoing, interesting exploration for me living here in Colorado Springs, you guys have been just phenomenal in terms of the support, but there's not very many of you here in this room. (laughs) And so occasionally there's this like, you know, how is this going to work out? I had, uh, you know, we've got it set up, so I've got food that's delivered. And last week, somehow or another, it got mixed up. The order got mixed up. And I don't know what happened, but I ordered some things and they didn't come. Different things came and not enough things came. So I knew Anila was coming and I was hoping to have, you know, fresh stuff and there wasn't enough and it was the wrong stuff. So, and you were out of town and I was so happy you guys went out of town because it's like you guys got to go play and that was wonderful. And Shelly was on retreat and not available and Nick, I can't remember what was happening, but Nick, I think, I don't remember anyway. So it's like, you know, my few people were, like, not occupied. And so I was trying to think, you know, what am I going to do? Anila's coming, and I, I was just like, you know, what am I going to do? And the mind tends to want to have what it wants, you know. It likes to have what it wants. It does not, the mind does not like to, to let go. It just absolutely does not like to let go, you know. So Anila was coming, and I was really looking forward to her coming. And I wanted the house to be abundantly full of all kinds of things, and it was abundantly barren, and I couldn't figure out how to do it differently, you know, I couldn't, you know, it was like, it wasn't obvious how to shift the equation, so I tried a little bit of, do I know this one, or this one, or this one, and then I thought, just drop it, drop it, just leave it, you know, it'll be okay, there's enough here, there might not be all the fresh food, you know, there might not be kefir, there might not be fresh salad, but there, we will not starve. There's tons of things that we will not starve. I'm sure that we won't starve. It will be okay. Just drop it. And so rather than flip into what can I do and this is not okay and I wish and I hope and I would like and if it only would be, you know, there was just a, a, a moving away from that and resting into stillness, into silence, into emptiness. Okay? Now, Monday is my quiet day. And normally I don't go on the computer and normally I don't answer my telephone. And I look at my text in my morning to see that, that the food is offered. That Monday, not only did I get a text that the food was offered, but I don't normally check my texts on Monday, but I, I mean, after I got my text that the food is offered, I don't normally check. And Deanne was going into labor, so she'd also sent me a text, so I got in a text that day as well. And then the phone kept ringing, and it was Shelley, and her plans had shifted completely, and she wanted to know what she'd bring. And so she ended up going shopping and bringing, like, two boxes worth of food, okay? She got everything that was to be gotten. And, 
you know, there's no way I can count how many times this has happened, where I'm in a pickle of some sort or another, I can't figure it out, and rather than spin, I decide to just drop it and to let the mind go into stillness. And the universe reorganizes itself somehow, and whatever it was that I was needing somehow comes through and is there. And I'm not saying that it's a causative thing, that letting go results in me being able to get what I need, but it has happened so many times. I don't do it in order to get it what I need, but it's like there's something that I'm beginning to, there's a trusting that it's going to be okay, you know, that it really is going to be okay. Either it's going to be okay because I'll make do with what's there, or, or trusting that, you know, that these amazing things happen. The universe reorganizes itself. And yet, it's not possible to do that unless you explore the pain of not having what you want. You know, of not opening those that closet and looking into it. The pain or this, the fear of being out of control. The experience of being vulnerable. The feeling of, of having a guest that you're really looking forward to having here and not being able to offer the kind of a beautiful welcoming in the way that you would hope. You know, they're all natural things, you know. And yet, there is something that happens that's even more beautiful when there's the willingness to let go. And that touches into something which is really unshakable. And something very deeply beautiful emerges as a result of that. And, you know, this is the result of practice. This is the result of bringing attention very clearly to what's present and attending to it and seeing what's there. And I just, you know, and then you came on Wednesday night with another box of treasures, you know, so it was like, you know, the place was totally inundated. And, you know, I haven't had people here for meals for reasons which I don't know, but it's shifting now. So Anila was here all week, and Sangpo came, and it was like, you know, we had feasts. And then Marty came with Jeff, and it was like, you know, just feet. We were having feasts every day for having feasts. <laughs> and it's such a joy. It is such an incredible joy to be able to have a feast with the people who are here to share it with. It is just so lovely. It is so lovely. So, you know, for me, you know, one of the things about the equinox that just really comes home is just not to be frightened of the dark. To know it, you know, to stick your, stick your nose in it, you know, and to get a feeling of what it feels like to, to be in it and to know the way you know, the textures of it and the territory of it. And as we bring light into the darkness, then our capacity to move with change and with cycles and be in the light and navigate the dark, it becomes all part of a dance. It's nothing that it's, that's, there's nothing about it which is unfamiliar, you know. And then we can move with the different cycles. So with Dad's passing, I've been much more in an inward cycle. My energy's been inward, my, and it will be that way until it shifts, and that's quite okay. You know, it is shifting, you know. But I don't need to stand there and say, you know, I've got to be different, or it's got to be different, or, I, you know, I've got to be doing something now that, you know, I'm not doing. You know, I can be with where I'm at and let it unfold according to the way that it needs to, and it's okay. You know, my hormones change. That's what happens. You're in a woman's body, and hormones change and that's what happens and it's okay and so you know I can be with it and 
do what I need to do in order to bring balance, feel as, as well as I can, and it's okay. So Equinox is here to remind us about the light and the dark and the balance. And the balance is part of what we need to learn to cultivate, but it's only part. Because there's all kinds of times in life where it's not in balance. And it can't be in balance. We've not no capacity to make it in balance. And so our practice has got to be able to navigate the experience of being out of control. That that, too, is part of practice. That there has got to be a place where our attention can rest, where we can be at ease with being out of control. And to me, there's nothing that is more powerful than that, than the experience of surrender and letting go. So letting go of being in control. So, enough for me. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.